seated. This morning, uh, for our devotional, my, my thesis is very straightforward. Uh, don't be a slugger. Don't be a slugger. And not just don't be a slugger, that's not quite good enough. Um, you also want to pursue excellence in your work. So I'm going to dance around this theme a little bit. I'm going to be bouncing around uh, mostly Proverbs, so uh, I'm not going to be looking at any one particular text in, in detail. So if you're going to try to follow along with me in the Bible, that may be a little frustrating. Maybe you just want to write down some of the references that I'm using, so I'm going to do it quickly. Um, so we all know, because you all have been well taught, uh, that God commissions us to work. He commissions us to work, to labor in this world. The task is inherently good. Inherently good. We need to remember that meaningful work is not a curse. Meaningful work is not a curse, but it's a blessing. Now, I know not all work is meaningful, of course. Uh, you know, Dilbert Cubicle cartoon, if you've uh, seen those, and if you're a cartoon reader, the Dilbert Cubicle uh, cartoon really capitalizes on the despair of mere soulless human machines in the workplace. There is that going on in our culture, and we need to address that, of course. Uh, but I'm referring to meaningful work, meaningful, real human work, and that's already that topic has already been discussed this week by some of the other pastors as well. And so here is where we typically begin to distinguish between a job and a vocation, and that distinction is helpful, uh, but it's not as simple as we often or sometimes think it is. And I don't pretend to tease it all out this morning. But I just want to say that there is a distinction there, and we need to be careful about how we use those terms and understand them biblically. Wendell Berry, any Wendell Berry readers here? Okay, a few of you. All right. Wendell Berry says that the idea of vocation attaches to work a cluster of other ideas, including devotion, skill, pride, pleasure, the good stewardship of means and materials. Here we have returned, he says, to the intangibles of economic value. In other words, things that you cannot put on a spreadsheet. When they are subtracted, what remains is merely what we call a job, always implying that work is something good only to escape. Now for Barry, true work rooted in vocation involves love and is modeled on the perfection of God's nature. True work involves love and is modeled on the perfection of God's nature. He says, he continues, good human work honors God's work. Good work uses no thing without respect, both for what it is in itself and for its origin. It uses neither tool nor material that it does not respect and that it does not love. To work without pleasure or affection, to make a product that is not both useful and beautiful, is to dishonor God, nature, the thing that is made, and whomever it is made for. This is blasphemy, to make shoddy work of the work of God. Now, Wendell Berry gets criticized for being too romantic about his view of work, particularly his view of farming, right? But I think there's something here that we need to chew on a bit. We need to consider what he says about the nature of work. Um, God gave Adam work to do in the garden even before sin entered the scene. You know that. Adam's commission to do meaningful work was not a punishment as the result of sin. Now, difficulty in work was part of the curse, but work itself was not. And so when we engage in honorable work, we are cooperating with God and caring for and using his creation. We're helping to provide for others. 
as God does. We're growing in character as God has called us to through our work. And so the work God has called us to do ought to nourish us, not tear us down. The laborer is worthy of his hire, the scripture tells us. Again, this very reminds us work and love go together. But the sluggard, the sluggard is someone who doesn't love work, he hates work. And it's quite destructive in Proverbs, especially when we consider this rubric of righteousness and wickedness, wisdom and folly, diligence and sluggard or laziness. So where in this rubric does the sluggard fit? On the wise side, foolish side, where is he? Foolish. And the foolish are associated with the wicked. So we need to see the moral dimensions of laziness. We need to be reminded of that. Laziness is not just a bad character trait. Right? The Bible associates it with wickedness. That's a serious call. So, let me just review quickly some of the marks of the sluggard the Bible tells us. And maybe one thing you can do with me this morning is to sort of evaluate yourself on some of these uh, characteristics. How, how am I doing on these? Right? What, how much is this characterizing you or not? Um, not either to make ourselves feel bad or pat ourselves on the back, rather, but just to conform ourselves to the standard of what the scriptures call us to do in this regard. So what are some of the marks of the sluggard? Well, for one thing, the sluggard, the, uh, the sluggard excuse me, loves to sleep. Loves to sleep. Is that you? They love it much more than work, that is. Now, we all like sleep, of course, right? But they love it more than work, the sluggard. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Proverbs 6, 9. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Proverbs 26, 14. That's a powerful image there, right? This is the swinging of a hinge, the turning of the sluggard in his bed. Lots of motion, but no progress. The hinge stays where it's at. Now, sleep is necessary, of course, for healthy life. But too much sleep is destructive, the Bible tells us. Wise people enjoy sleep that's sweet, is what Proverbs says, because they know they're in God's will, and the laborer's sleep is sweet because he or she has worked hard. Uh, a couple of pastors and I were talking just last night about this. Uh, the days where I am physically active and exhausted, I always sleep better. And food always tastes better. You ever notice that? When you've, when you've really exerted yourself physically, that peanut butter sandwich really, it, you know, it enhances, it enhances. It's, uh, there's a desire, in, in, there's an enhancement in desire for that. Because of hard work, right? There's, that's the fruit of hard work. Things become sweeter to us because we work hard. Um, but the sleep of the slugger is the mark of selfishness and laziness. Um, there, there's a book called The Practice of Wisdom by uh, Sailor and Wurtson. And they, they say this, laziness could run a competitive race for the most underrated sin. Wisdom, uh, excuse me, laziness could run a competitive race for the most underrated sin. Quietly, it anesthetizes its victim into a lifeless stupor that ends in hunger, bondage, and death. It's like, we don't realize the effects of that laziness have on us until it's too late, essentially what they're saying. Put the slugger to work, he's more of a nuisance than a help. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to them that send him. I've been in a couple of jobs where I've been manager over other people, and uh, I've had a couple of these experiences where you just regret having to ask one of your employees, 
do something because you know it's going to cost you more work in the end. Vinegar on the teeth and smoke in the eyes aren't necessarily lethal, but they do irritate you. And so does a slugger who won't get the job done. All he does is dream about the things he wants to enjoy, but he won't work hard enough to earn them for himself. Proverbs 21-25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Dreams become nightmares if you don't discipline yourself to work. Another mark of the sluggard is a know-it-all attitude. Proverbs 26-16 says, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. He lives in a fantasy world that prevents him from being a useful part of the real world. But he can tell everybody else what to do in the meantime. He's never succeeded at anything in his own life, but he knows exactly how you're supposed to succeed in yours. Sluggards are also good at making excuses. That's the third characteristic. Either the weather is too cold for plowing. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 4 says this. Or it's too dangerous to go out of the house today. Proverbs 22, 13 there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I can't even go outside today. It's, it's too dangerous. <coughs> the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Proverbs 15, 19. The diligent man or woman can always find a reason to work, but the sluggard always has an excuse for not working. The evangelist Billy Sunday defined an excuse as the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. People who are good at making excuses are rarely good at doing anything else. And what finally happens to the sluggard? Well, for one thing, unless others care for them, sluggards live in poverty and hunger. Maybe in a physical sense, but also in a metaphorical sense. Proverbs 19.15 Laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. 2 Thessalonians 3 um, says, If anyone would not work, neither should he eat. This was the standard of the New Testament church. The saints were happy to care for those who needed help and who couldn't care for themselves, widows, orphans, those who were on the margins of uh, society. But they had no time for freeloaders who lived by the sacrifice of others. They took this seriously. Acts 2 is an example of this. Uh, the sluggard gets so lazy he won't feed himself even when the food is brought right to him. This is such a powerful image of Proverbs 19.24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back up to his mouth. Further, the sluggard loses his freedom as, and is enslaved to others because of his laziness. 12.24 uh, Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. His debts accumulate to the point where he has to become a slave and work off what he owes. The easy life of leisure turns out to be the very, cost, very costly for the sluggard, who exchanges his pillow for a plow and has to work off his debts the hard way. The sluggard also wastes God-given resources. He is not a good steward of resources. Proverbs 18.9, he also that is slothful in his work is, is a bother to him that it, uh, excuse me, let me read this again. He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. 
The lazy person may be working, but not doing a very good job at it. And so consequently, what's done will either have to be thrown out or done over. And this means it will cost twice as much. The sluggard also wastes God-given opportunities. He, uh, Proverbs 10.5, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. When the fields are ready for the harvest, the reapers have to go to work now because the opportunity will not be there forever. Strike while the iron is hot. Carpe diem, seize the day, right? Diligent people are alert to their God-given opportunities and seek to make the most of them. I'll close by a quote here from uh, Joel Salvison. In his book on family farming, he he talks about work quite a bit and the culture of work that he uh, fosters in his own. And then he talks, he says this in his his, uh, kind of humorous, cheeky way. He says, do you want to know what true child abuse is? He's talking about the sort of political uh, banter about child abuse. He says, do you want to know what true child abuse is? It's not having your kids coming in exhausted from a day's work well done. That's child abuse. It's growing up undisciplined. It's reaching maturity thinking the night is for partying instead of sleeping for the next day's important work. Child abuse is growing up thinking my enjoyment must come from what someone else will give or do for me. That's child abuse, and our culture is guilty. So work attitudes reveal a person's heart, I think, like nothing else. It's a special way of of detecting someone's character. An eagerness to, to, uh, a willingness and eagerness to work, to work hard, reveals the true character of a person, is what the Bible tells us. And so show me a person who loves meaningful work, and I'll show you a person who will be a successful person. In God's eyes. The hand of the diligent will indeed rule. Let's pray. O Lord, teach us your ways, and in particular teach us how to be faithful in our labor, establishing a culture of diligence and excellence in our work before you. Grant these young men and women purpose and joy in their respective work, and teach us all to delight in diligence. Help us, for we cannot do it on our own. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.